Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Well, we are going to continue Joshua. So we are uh, week four of our Joshua series. And uh, how are you guys, are you getting something out of this so far? Good, good. If you're new here, by the way, I, I've been told I should do this. Uh, this is my fourth week here as the, as the pastor. And um, so my, I'm, my name is Kelly. And, um, and so if, please come up to me and say hi. I don't really know yet who's been here 15 years and who's been here a week. And so please, if I offend you that way, I, I don't mean to. Um, but please, yeah, come say hi to me if you're new. Um, you know, I want to meet you. I want to get to know you. Um, so I was told, that was some feedback I got was, hey, we don't know who you are yet. So introduce yourself more when you come up to speak. But today we're going to talk about barriers. We're going to talk about barriers today. Obstacles that, that prevent us from movement or access. Barriers. And uh, I mentioned last week that in college, I, I ran track and field for a, a school called Southern Utah University. And Southern Utah University isn't known for being a track school. Um, it's, you know, it's not in Oregon. You know, somewhere has a lot of fame and, and prestige and reputation for track and field. It, it's more known for its Shakespearean festivals, its closeness to national parks, right? Not exactly track, U, track town USA in Cedar City. Very snowy, very windy. It's not a great place to run, to be honest with you. It was pretty brutal for those five years that I was there. But we had a, I had a teammate. His name was Cam, Cam Levins. He is actually from Canada. And he came down as a long-distance runner. We came in the same year. And really somebody, when you looked at first glance, you wouldn't expect anything of. He was a little guy. He had a, had a big afro. Um, he was from British Columbia. And I remember having lunch with him. Just about every day we had these little, like, this freshman, they give you cafeteria cards because they, they don't want you to starve to death your first year on, on campus. And so, you know, we used to eat lunch all the time. We got to know each other really well. We'd roommate on trips and things. And they always put sprinters and distance runners together. And it was kind of a weird dynamic a lot of times. But our fifth year, our, our senior year together, Cam had an absolute breakout year. I mean, it was, it was an incredible year. And when you think about the school, the environment that we were in, the things that he accomplished his senior year were things that he would have never expected. There were so many barriers to Cam actually breaking through the things that he was able to do. You would have been, it was really a miracle in a lot of ways. Our senior year, Cam Levins broke through the sub-four-mile team up at actually University of Washington. I remember being in Seattle with him as he went under four minutes in the mile. That's fast. That's very fast. I mean, and that, that gave him a bit of an open door to a lot of different things that year. In fact, he got to race in places he would have never thought he was able to race. And it just brought him to a new level. He would go on to, to win the national championship in long distance, which, I mean, you think he's, he's racing the people from Oregon and Washington and all these, uh, Texas, these track schools. And here's this little SUU guy winning the national championship. He goes on to, to make the Olympics and runs in London. And he actually wins the Bowerman Award, which is the Heisman Trophy of the track and field world. Think about that. A little SUU guy, Shakespeare Town, USA, wins the Bowerman Award winner. That would be you know, someone from like a, a small little D2 school winning the Heisman Trophy. It it's just it doesn't happen. 
You know, when I think about barriers, I, I think of, of Cam Levins, a guy who was really up against a long barrier to try to break through what he had to get through. The things he had to do in order to break the sub four mile, the things he had to prove every time he stepped on the track that he deserved and belonged on that track with those people. To bring in national championships, to bring in Bowerman Awards, and to then be an Olympian. That think of the barriers that he had to cross in order to make that place. He crossed those barriers and became something different. He became something different than when he entered the doors, when he used to sit with me at lunch. That's my claim to fame. That's my flex, as I used to have lunch with Cam Levins. And now in Joshua chapter 3, we're going to read that Israel stands at a barrier as well. It stands against a barrier. And in the ancient Near East culture, rivers themselves had a lot of sacred symbolism. You know, Egypt had the Nile, right? Pharaohs would, would rise and fall on if the Nile flooded every year. If the Nile didn't flood that year, they had a new king. You think of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers in Mesopotamia and the impact and the, the way that they looked at those rivers in their time. You look at the Tiber River in Rome and how those types of people looked at the, the, the way that the rivers functioned and how they represented something in the life of the city. Well, Israel has the Jordan River. But it's not a sacred river, something to be worshipped. In the mind of an Israelite, the Jordan River has always been a barrier. Either a barrier to, to keep things out, or in this case, a barrier that's stopping them from crossing over into something of promise. So the Jordan River stands as a barrier to the things that God has promised on the other side. And Israel now is stuck up against that barrier. And you think about the Jordan, if you go to it today, it's more of like a trickle. It's been dammed and things like that by modern Israel. But at the time, it was during the harvest, and so it was a rushing river where there would be no way for them to cross. Not quite like the snake, but still a, a large barrier to try to cross over. And so the barriers that I want you to kind of be thinking about is why you're standing on one side of the bank of the river today. What is across from you? What is stopping you from crossing over and entering into what's on the other side of the river? What is the obstacle in front of you today that is stopping you from crossing over to being closer to God? What's the barrier stopping you from the promises that he has for you? What are the things that are rubbing up against you every day? You're like, I just can't break through this. Because that's where Israel's at. They're at the precipice of something new, but there's an obstacle in the way. So what barriers are you up against right now? What are those things that stand between you and the promises of God? You know, when I was entering the ministry, I was... I was part of a group of guys, they called it the pastors in training program. And I was, I was the youngest. I was about 26 years old. And I, boy, I felt very inadequate. You know, I'd sit down with these guys and we would have coffee and, and they were just so much smarter than I was. They knew theology better than I were. They were better at talking with people. I, I'm an introvert. I mean, it doesn't always seem that way. Ministry has kind of beat that out of me a little bit. But my default is like, I don't, I recharge being by myself. Anybody else like that? And so I never felt like I could be in ministry. I was like, why would God use me? I, I'm an introvert. I only kind of like people. Okay? 
These guys were, were extroverted and charismatic, and they were church planners. And I was like, I am so inadequate compared to these guys. Being a 26-year-old kid, I, I would just come out of prodigal days. I was 23 years old, just kind of entering back into relationship with the Lord. And so at 26, I was just married. And I remember even talking to Amy. I was like, man, I wish these other guys were here for these conversations when we would talk to the LDS missionaries and things being in Utah. I was like, I just feel like I'm not very good at this. You guys ever been there? Do you feel like I'm just inadequate? I don't know enough. I don't really know how I can cross through this obstacle, this barrier that I have to get to where I want to be. And how many of us know that insecurities is a major barrier? How many of us have imposter syndrome when we think about God putting us into places where he can partner with us to fill out the promises he has to the people around us? What about fear? Afraid of of stepping out. Afraid of what that could mean. Afraid of what that might cost you. The fear of not knowing the answers. I mean, those are all fears and posture syndromes and securities that I've had in the 10 years that I've been walking with the Lord in ministry. I've all felt that way. It didn't matter if I was if I was working with preteens. My first time ever getting involved in ministry, I was I was sitting with a room of 12 and 13 year olds. That was horrifying. I think that was the best pastoral training I ever had, was sitting in a room with 12 and 13-year-olds trying to answer their questions about the Bible. What are the barriers that that are stopping us and the obstacles that are stopping us from crossing over to where he needs us and where he wants us? I think a lot of times, too, we, we kind of argue ourselves. You guys ever argue with yourself in the shower? I do. I have a lot of conversations with God in the shower. You know, when you think about stuff, you're like, you know, God's really impressing this on my heart. I really have a passion for this, but I think God will send someone else to do it. Anybody do that? What about, oh, you know, I, I stepped into this position one time, and, and boy, it really went poorly. It must have been a mistake for him to put me there. So therefore, I'm not going to do that again. I've had that cycle happen many years in ministry where you step out into something It goes terribly wrong on paper. You've learned a lot, but the main thing you walk away from is, I'm never doing that again. And then what about this one? How could the creator of everything, when you look at the the stars in the sky and the fact that he created those, why would he ever want to work through me? Why would he ever choose me to, to want to work through to bring blessing into this world? I still try to wrap my head around that sometimes. We are going to see today how God overcomes, leads us, and prepares us to cross over the barriers into what he has promised for us. Because every single one of us has had those conversations. Every single one of us has had those insecurities. Every single one of us has had those fears about what it looks like to overcome a barrier. No matter what it is, put it into your own context of what those look like. And I'm going to show you in Joshua 3 how God led Israel across the Jordan into the promised land, into the things he had for them in the future. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to read the, the first four verses here. So you can follow along with me if you'd like. 
It says, Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. So they've hit the barrier. Jordan, the, the, the promised land is just on the other bank. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. Say that, follow it. Not follow the priests, but follow the Ark. Okay, that's important. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it, that you can see the way to go if you haven't traveled this way before. So the highlight there is that they're breaking camp. They've come to the barrier. Promise is right there. But there's a, there's a river in the way. There's an obstacle. How many of us have, have gotten so close to the, the promise that we let this river, the obstacle, stop us? You know, Israel, in theory, could still be stuck there if they don't do what they do in the next portion of this passage. What I think the Lord really wants to speak to us and what I think he's highlighting in these first four verses is that he is highlighting the importance that the Lord leads us through the barrier. That the Lord leads us through the barrier. Because I don't know about you, how many of you are fix-it people? Where you have a problem and you just say, I'll just handle it real quick. That was, I was like when I first got married, that was a big problem. I wasn't much of a listener, I was more of a let's fix it. You can, you can ask Amy about that. You know, what if Israel would have been a fix-it person? What if they would have got to that barrier and said, hey, you know what, we're going we're gonna to build a bridge, we're going to find a ford, we're going to try to get across this river by ourselves. That's not what they do, is it? They stop and wait for the ark to go before them. Israel didn't cross the border by themselves. It wasn't Joshua who led them across the river. It wasn't even the priests that led them across the river. God is highlighting it was the Ark of the Covenant that led him across the river. Now, when you look at the, when you, when you examine the Ark of the Covenant, we probably have images of Indiana Jones and, and things like that in our heads when they come to mind. But really, what it comes down to, what the Ark of the Covenant was, it contained really three things. It contained the words of the Lord, the Ten Commandments. It symbolized God's presence to his people, especially in, in battles. You would see the Ark of the Covenant representing how God's presence was here with them. And it revealed God's power over creation. So it contained the words of the Lord. It symbolized the presence of the Lord. And it revealed God's power over creation. It was God's way of saying to Israel, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And in the sense, it's also saying, I'm here going before you. I will open up the way across the barrier into the promise. It's exactly what the, car, the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant is trying to communicate here to us. The author wants us to see that in these opening verses of chapter 3, that the Lord is going ahead of Israel and is opening up the way to the promises to Israel. Israel was only going to cross if they followed the Ark. And what happens a lot of times for us is we get so frustrated with being stuck against obstacles, so fixated on trying to, to fix the reason why we're stuck against the obstacles, that we don't always allow the Lord to go before us in the obstacle. Because it's scary to release control when you're up against a barrier. 
The thing you want to do is you want to control your way through the obstacle. Because letting go of it is a scary thing. It means you have to trust something bigger than you. It means you have to trust something greater than you. And it's not you. And that's scary. What we see and what the Ark of the Covenant is ultimately pointing to is Jesus represented in the Ark. In the, in the Ark of the Covenant. In the revealed power of Jesus, we see in the New Testament that Jesus, we, the word, that Jesus is the word of the Lord on earth. In John 1. John the, John the Apostle is heavily fixated on how he is fulfilling these types of things. How Jesus is fulfilling these types of things. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. All right? In Jesus, we see the presence of God. It says that in John 1 that he was the tabernacle. That the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's the word tabernacle. That the presence of God dwelled in the body of Jesus. That where Jesus went, God went, is the point of this. In Jesus, he reveals the power over creation. How many times did Jesus calm the storms? How many did Jesus raise the dead? How many times did Jesus heal the miraculous? He has power over creation. He has power even over life and death. What we see here and what the New Testament wants us to grab hold of is that it's only through the new ark in Jesus, the fulfilled ark, that we can cross to being who God has made us to be. That like Israel, following the ark across the Jordan as it splits open and as the nation walks through it, John is trying to communicate that Jesus fulfills the Ark of the Covenant, that in him revealed the power that was in the Ark of the Covenant and opens up the way for us to follow into the obstacles, into the barriers, into the newness of life. So when we hit a barrier, again, the temptation is trying to cross over in our own power. That's a temptation that we have because we try to do it apart from God. I think we even try to do it to try to prove to God that we can do it. Like, hey, I I know I love you, Lord. I know you're here for me, but I got this one. That's not what he's asking of us, right? He's asking you, or do you trust me enough to follow me through the obstacle? If it's pride or insecurity, either one of it, it really just points to us. It goes, hey, guys, this is on me. I'm going to get across this obstacle. And you won't cross into the Lord's promises by looking inwardly and hoping on your own power and strength. I think I learned that very quickly too and when I got sent into actual pastoring, how still inadequate I was, but just how dependent I was on the Lord. It elevated everything, walking in through it with him. And the real key here, and this is the one that I think that I see the most in people, is you won't persevere if you're looking at the problem. If you're looking at the obstacle and saying, how can I get through this personally, you're not going to persevere. Because you're just going to be hitting yourself against the wall over and over and over again. Because you're looking at yourself, trying to get through it yourself. I've seen 
more and more followers of Jesus get more discouraged, disheartened, because they're trying to get through barriers and obstacles on their own. There's something else we have to fix our eyes on, to fixate on in order to get through it. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews is writing to a very heavily persecuted church. I mean, a church where, there, where most likely many of them had, had been killed or martyred, and they're on the edge of giving up. They're on the edge of that barrier saying, I don't know if I can keep living this way in this world. And the Hebrews author says this to him, let us lay aside every hindrance, every barrier, and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Don't fixate on the, the hindrance and the barrier. Don't worry about the river that's in front of you. But let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. This is how he says to do it. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on the one that goes before us, ahead of us, leads us through it. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That when you step in, when you realize, I can't do this, and you fix your eyes on Jesus, it actually builds in you something of a faith. Of stepping out into the obstacle. I had a, a pastor friend tell me a story once where his young son was the ring bearer for a wedding. And it was a, a large wedding. had a few hundred people. And the son comes up to him and he says, Dad, I am scared to death of doing this. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can walk down the aisle in front of all those people. And my pastoral friend, he says, son, just, just look at me and keep your eyes on me as you walk down the aisle. And I think that's exactly what Jesus wants to say to many of us as we, we come up against these obstacles and barriers. Son, just keep your eyes on me. Don't be looking around at the things that are going on around us, the things we have no control over, the things that we can't help. But just, son, keep your eyes fixated on me as you walk down that aisle. Walk down the aisle, walking towards Jesus. That's the only way that we get through the, the obstacles, the barriers. And what it does is and it builds us and it creates in us a faith that we walk across that Jordan stronger and more ready for the promises that God has for us. In fact, I think if you're walking in this world and you're not, uncomfortable and scared and you're a follower of Jesus, there's something wrong. We, we walk a little bit with this sense of, boy, this is really uncomfortable. We walk a little bit of this kind of, I have to exercise faith every single day and that's a little scary. Do you think people are walking across that Jordan River going, boy, this is really comfortable right now? I don't think so. I think they were like, oh, please don't let this crumble. And I think that's how a lot of us walk is, this is not super comfortable, but I'm getting across it. I trust the Lord. I trust that he went before us, and he's going to get us to the other side. In fact, we have people around us who have crossed the Jordans before us, too, and go, hey, it's safe. Come on over to the bank. Hey, I know it's scary on their side, but come across the other side to the bank. That's why it's so good to be in a community of people who have been in different areas of life, who have seen great faith works, who have, who are, who have seen God move mightily in their life because they can go and grab people behind them and go, hey, follow this. Follow Jesus because I know he did it for me. He can do it for you. In life, we run up against a lot of barriers. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, who has gone already before us, who paved the way to being who we are in Christ, we take the first step in overcoming those things 
that are before us as barriers. It starts first by trying to not control everything, by letting things go that you can't control, not trying to white knuckle or muscle your way through these obstacles and barriers, but only through looking to Jesus and keeping your eyes on him and walking out, knowing he's going to get you through the obstacle. In fact, let Jesus enter the waters first. Let Jesus enter the waters first. And I, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. So one of the ways that I've seen this lived out in my life, probably the greatest, is in grief. You know, grief is a, a monster of something to try to navigate through. The obstacles and the barriers. It's like just this 10,000-pound gorilla on your back all the time. And in February of this year, in fact, um, the same day that Gary called me that about coming here to visit in April my 17-year-old niece was killed in a car accident. This is, I actually have her, this is what this tattoo is on my arm right here. Um, and I remember, I've never had anything like that happening before. I've had, you know, people close to me pass away, but, but never in such a, a tragic, and then to be so close. And so trying to navigate this obstacle, this barrier of grief, was, was a, a, a huge faith exercise. Because as all of the things that you kind of tell yourself, as a pastor, you kind of go, I should be able to explain this, but I couldn't. I didn't know why. I didn't know why my 17-year-old niece had to, had to go and be with the Lord. She, she loved the Lord. And I, couldn't rapple, I couldn't grapple around the emotions of it all, how I'd be totally fine one second and then a puddle the next. But it was a, it was a barrier and an obstacle that I came up against that Jesus was was so close to. That was the thing about it. It was the weirdest paradox. It was all the confusion, disorientation, pain, emotion. But then you also felt the presence of the Lord closer than I ever had in my entire life. It was, it was a strange paradox of peace and pain. And it was something that of a barrier and obstacle that I wouldn't have been able to get through if I didn't have the Lord. I really don't know how I would have handled that if I didn't have the Lord in my life. And it was one of those moments where you look back and you go, I am so glad and so thankful that the Lord was with me before all this, that I knew him before all this to get me through this. Let him enter the waters first. In the times of confusion, discouragement, any barrier, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. And the second part is crossing does take preparation. Crossing does take preparation. While crossing borders, it does take a sense of surrender and lack of control and letting go of the things that we come up against. It requires a prepared heart and mind for the task ahead. Jesus says that we must count the cost, right? There is a sense of, of mental preparation as far as what it looks like to cross into the barriers. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, he says to the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. So before they cross over the barrier across the Jordan, he says, consecrate yourselves. So what does that mean to consecrate yourself? Well, it's the word kadash. It's, it's the verb form of kadosh or holy. So it's really in the sense of Joshua is to prepare yourself for what is about to occur. 
It is actually a, a, a term that you'll see a lot used in ancient Near East cultures for a kind of preparation before a, a great battle. We see that not only in the ancient Near East, we see that in, in Greece and Rome, and there's this idea of how do you prepare yourself for the things that are coming up in the future? And so what most Hebrew scholars think is that they did washing. They, they, they washed themselves. They prepared themselves for what was about to happen. In fact, that was a very normal thing. If you were, you were a, a warrior of any kind in the ancient Near East, you, you washed and prepared yourself before the fight. So Joshua is knowing that they're about to enter into these promises. Wash yourself, consecrate yourself, prepare yourself, your heart and mind for what's about to occur because the Lord is going to do amazing things tomorrow. It was a pre-battle ritual. So how does the Bible tell us we are to consecrate ourselves today? Obviously, we're not doing those types of things. We're not going through some washing ritual necessarily every time we step out of the door and to think God's going to do amazing things. So how does that look today? Well, Jesus showed us the way. The New Testament parallel for this story in Joshua 3 is actually found in Matthew 3. It's a, it's a really close parallel to what the story is in Joshua 3. It's when Jesus gets baptized. In Matthew three thirteen through 17, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. So immediately you're thinking, there's a barrier. right? That's the symbolism that we're seeing here. Is, is there's a reason why John was baptizing in the Jordan. It symbolized a barrier. So Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you. You come to me. You are the ark. You go before me. Why am I baptizing you? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here we have again a story of an Israelite standing at the banks of the Jordan, entering into the water of the Jordan. It's preparing the way for something new to come. That Jesus wasn't entering the water to be repentant of sin. We know that. There was a different reason why Jesus was entering the water. The barrier here is focused on isn't the water in the Jordan a conquest of land like we see in Joshua 3. But what we see is Jesus beginning this ministry, the conquest of sin becoming the barrier found in the Jordan. That Jesus entering the waters of the Jordan, he's beginning to say the barrier between God and man is going to start falling right now. This is the symbolism of Matthew 3. When Jesus enters those waters, he is telling the spiritual forces of the world as, re- as well as Israel, because they know this story, that one, he is ready for battle, and two, the barriers are going to start crumbling down. And the, and the great thing about, I love the words that Matthew uses here, because it's not the waters didn't open up. It's not like Jesus got in, the waters opened up. What opens up? Heaven opens up. The heavens open up. It's the same imagery as where Jesus is entering. The barriers between God and man are going to fall. That the God-man Jesus is entering into the story to take on the conquest of sin and death that separates us from God. 
And then it talks about how he is the anointed one, the Holy Spirit coming upon him like a dove. That's the anointing of a king. This is the king imagery of a King Jesus entering into battle, entering into the water, opening up the heavens, breaking down the barriers for the conquest, not of land, but of the souls and reclaiming of humanity. This is why the story continues on with the next part in Matthew, which is the wilderness story, where he actually does go toe-to-toe with temptation and hunger in the wilderness. It was the beginning of a barrier being crossed, not by us, but by the Lord. Instead of waters opening up, it was the heavens opening up. It was the access point for which God was going to bring humanity closer to him. It began here in the waters of the Jordan, same as it did in Joshua 3, where the promises began with the crossing of the Jordan. So think about that. When you are baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ, which is the symbolism of going into the water and death and rising up into newness of life, you are actually proclaiming that you are following the original ark of the covenant across the Jordan, that you are proclaiming that you are a follower of Jesus. It's a consecration of types. You are being washed and ready to begin the new life of following Jesus into the promises that he has for you, into the promises of new creation, into the promises of a restored relationship with your God. Those are the things that you are proclaiming to the world. It is a public declaration of something that God is transforming your heart and mind into. It means that we are turning away from those things opposed to the way of Jesus, and we're moving towards him. This is, this is what religious word repentance is all about, right? You're moving, changing direction, right? You're not moving and following something that is against the Lord God. You are now moving along with the Lord God. That's all that word means, is you are moving towards Jesus, moving towards the Lord God desires, and changing directions from the way of the past. It's not about remorse. It's not about, oh, I feel bad. It's about real consecration. It's about real change in direction. I'm preparing my heart and mind, preparing for what is ahead of me, for the obstacles and the barriers that are ahead of me. I am preparing myself for that. And it began in the other church with the symbolism of baptism. This is where it began. Because really remorse, a lot of times, that just leaves us on the banks. Hey, sorry, I can't quite cross. I'm not really ready yet. I know you've opened up the gates. I know you've opened up the way for me to follow you. I'm just not quite ready. Remorse is kind of saying, I'm sorry. Whereas real change is going, I don't really know what's on the other side of that bank. I don't know what's in store for me, but I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I know I feel inadequate. I know I have some securities. I know I'm afraid, but I trust you, Lord. I trust you to get me through it. I trust you're going to be on the other side of that bank. Consecrate yourselves by turning away from the things that are opposed to the Lord. And today, prepare your heart and mind for what it will take for you to follow Jesus into the water. Because it will cost you worldly desires. It will cost you a a loss of false identities in your life. You will see those false identities just fall off you, be scraped away. It may even cost you friendships and I've had to go pick up young kids who've got kicked out of their houses because they've chosen to follow Jesus. It's it's a costly thing. This is why Jesus says, count it. Make sure you know what you're building first. 
Make sure you know who you're following first. In fact, in the early church, that first century church, baptism was often a mark of death. Imagine, how many of us would get baptized today knowing that people would likely try to hurt us later that day if they saw us do it? This is why they did it in public places. Because what they were doing was they were declaring loyalty to the King Jesus where the law was requiring you to call loyalty to Caesar. And so for them, it was an act of defiance. In fact, Jesus was an act of defiance against the powers of the world. There's a reason why he was hung on a cross next to two rebels. He was a rebel, rebelling against the powers of the world. And so by us declaring that, preparing our minds and hearts for the, for the, the task ahead and us following this, is that we are saying that we are willing to cross the waters with him and be affiliated with him. It meant you were, ta- you were walking towards something new, breaking through a barrier into the promise of a new creation. Breaking into the barrier of a promise that he will be there. Breaking into the barriers of the promise of a grown faith. Breaking through the barriers of the promise of what he has called and made you to be in this world. Lord will lead you through the waters. So the question I have as we kind of wrap up here, are you prepared to follow Jesus into the waters? Because we can say we are, but it's about really taking the step into the water, not just literal baptism, but stepping into the waters of life and trusting him to get us through the obstacles. Because Joshua 3 is about the Lord breaking barriers into promise. He splits the Jordan River. The whole nation crosses the Jordan and goes into Jericho, which is where we'll pick up next week. But only through him do the waters get crossed. So I ask you again, what barriers are you dealing with? What obstacles are you up against that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus, that you need to surrender to him that you need to let go of the lack of control of in order to get through them thanks for checking out this message from real life you can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on facebook or youtube until next time have a great week